Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Well, today we are wrapping up our Congregationally Determined series entitled, I Was Wondering. Of all the many questions that I have received, one theme in particular is worthy of addressing in our conclusion of this study. And it's the theme of our own personal wonderment of God's grace and mercy on our behalf. I want to thank you for joining us in this final installment as we allow our hearts to be guided towards maturity in Christ by the mysteries of God found in our own personal redemption. I want you to imagine the most picturesque or grandiose uh, sight you've ever seen. Uh, For some people, you might think of the Grand Canyon. I remember the first time I saw the Grand Canyon, I thought I was looking at a painting. It was amazing. took your breath away. Have you ever seen a sunset that was like that? That just seemed with a richness of continuing cascading colors that just had you stop whatever it is that you were doing and just look with wonder and awe? Or maybe, uh, maybe it's something as familiar as like even a newborn baby. This happened to me the other day. I saw the tiniest tiniest little baby and it was like wow (laughs) you know what I mean has that ever happened to you Uh, I want you to think as to what are those elements what are those moments in your life that cause you amazement grandeur a, a, a smallness in your heart to say wow look at how much bigger life is than what I can comprehend I think there's something that God has designed within us and in his creation that delivers for us a result of those moments. In fact, what they do is they cause us to um, reorient our attention, do they not? Uh, Very recently, there was a really pretty sunset and we were driving through town. And as we were going around the corner, I said to the family, wow, look at the sunset. And do you know what everybody in the car had to do? like arch their heads around and look around the buildings, right? Because if there's something that beautiful, it's worth taking the effort to turn and to absorb and to let it speak to you and to revel and marinate in it. Not only does it capture our attention, um, but it draws us in, does it not? It it kind of brings you into that moment. I think the term for that I would uh, list out as wonder, It can make you feel small. I can think of a a storm. I remember in uh, the spring uh, at our house growing up, uh, if you looked south, you could see these storm clouds that would be traveling from the west to the east. And as the sun would set, you'd see the, the lightning start to pop off through those storms off in the distance. They make you feel small. These moments of grandeur, they can also inspire us. We here have been in a series that I've entitled, I Was Wondering. And I'm hoping that in the time here, you see the little uh, play on words that I did here, right? Uh, What's the key aspect in wondering? It's it's wonder. That's truly what it is. Um, And I got to say, when we first started it off, I thought, yeah, I'm going to get a bunch of easy questions from the church. It's going to be... It's going to be uh, easy. I won't have to work that hard this summer. It's going to be no problem. Boy, was I wrong. Um, Your questions were fantastic. And it's just for lack of time that I won't have opportunity to get through all of them. In fact, one that maybe you have asked. As I was uh, uh, thumbing through them once more this week, um, I kind of thought there's probably three categories that these questions fall into. Questions, uh, first of all, that are maybe better suited 
for a Bible study. Uh, They're actually difficult questions to answer in the context of a Sunday morning worship service. They'd be better suited for a Bible study. Some of them would be uh, like the differences between progressive and positional sanctification. I told my wife that was one of the questions. She almost fell asleep while I was asking the question. (laughs) I'm excited about that. That would be wonderful to to discuss, but we we need to be flipping through the Bible. Great for a Bible study. Uh, There's questions on textual criticism. Uh, Why are some verses um, uh, listed as not occurring in the oldest and best manuscripts in our Bible? And and how does that relate to our reliability of God's word? Um, Another is the modes and forms of baptism. And we see such diversity in the church. The question that I got asked was, which is the biblical one? Oh boy, that's stepping, that's stepping in it. If I were to go that route, that'd be a great question for a Bible study. Um, many of you asked questions about angels and demons. Uh, the, the nature of the role of the devil. Uh, one uh, little, little one asked a question, uh, do all angels have wings? <laughs> what a great question. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Um, uh, one question was the, the nature of the gifts of the Spirit and how that gets played out differently in different traditions and denominations or the structure and design of church government for the role of men and women, the perception of the temperament of God between the Old Testament and the New Testament. These are good questions, aren't they? I, I'd love to go through those. I think a Bible study would be an easier, a better place that we could get some more ground there. So Wednesday morning, let me invite you to come. Second category are questions that I really want to answer, but just won't have the time to in this series. Uh, one of the questions was, why is it so hard to share the gospel with my family? In fact, there were three of those that came up. I'm expecting that those came out of the season that we were in on evangelism this summer. And so while we were focusing on that as a theme, I'm really happy that that question, why is it so hard with my family, is a question I really want to answer. Um, Another question that I really want to answer asks, um, if I know that sin is wrong and I still do it, does that mean I won't go to heaven? I, I bet at some point or another, every one of us has asked that question or felt a wonder on that question. I'd love to answer that one. Um, here's a really good one that came from a, a, a little young man in our church. Where did God come from? Okay, you see why I have trouble with some of these. But let me give you the short, three short answers to those because I can't take the whole morning to do it. Why is it hard to share God with my family? Well, because you belong to a new family. That's why it's hard. Uh, the, 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 the reason you feel a, a threatenedness around your family is because you actually belong to a new family. Do you remember Jesus's words as he has uh, a member of uh, his uh, listening crowd come up to him and say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, who are my mother and my brothers? You are my mother and my brothers if you do the will of my father who is in heaven. So that's the answer to that one in, in a nutshell. Um, if I sin, does it mean I'm not going to heaven? Uh, no. Uh, To be Christian means that you are aware of your sins. And all of us sin. The unique characteristic of a Christian is that they are aware of them. And then the Word of God teaches us that you cannot continue in them. You will still sin. You will still sin, the Bible says, until you are released from this corruption of flesh in this life. The Bible says in Romans 7, he who has died is done with sin. So if you're alive, guess what? Sinners. (laughs) Right? Yeah, you you get the point. 
The question here of salvation is one, do you have any conviction over that sin? For it's the role of the Holy Spirit in you that brings conviction. And if there's no conviction, then yeah, I would question if you have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. And if you don't have Christ, you don't have the Father. So if you're aware of your sin, and if it is for you something that you are continually prompted to confess, that is a very good indicator that you, yes, are indeed saved by the indwelling of God's Spirit, being transformed into light from darkness. And then who made God? Where did God come from? God is self-existent. He is uncreated. He is, as the theological term is say, meaning from self. He is non-contingent. All of us are the exact opposite. So God is the uncreated one. Uh, that will wrinkle your brain today. So uh, we could take a lot more time to uh, go through all of those. But then the final category of questions are those that no one knows the answer to. Uh, it It makes me really thankful that our church asks these questions because what they do is exactly what we're going to try to do this morning, which is to move our questioning, not for seeking perhaps the answer of fact, but to move us to wonder, to, to move us to grandeur, to move us to amazement. And the answer that you're going to get from your pastor is, I don't know. <laughs> so these are questions that have to do about death. I put this one down too. Do all angels have wings? I don't know. Um, here's a good one. If God knew, uh, if God knew everything, wouldn't he know that the devil would trick Adam and Eve? Then why didn't God just kill Satan? We've all wondered that one. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure why God has chosen to work out salvation the way that he has. What's the nature of our earthly relationships in heaven, specifically with spouses? I don't know. I know know Jesus says there won't be giving of marriage in heaven and that we will look more like the angels. Not that you'll be an angel, but I don't know the answer to that. I have to wait just like you to find out. Here's a good one. Is it, is it possible that there's a Yeti or a Sasquatch? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was fantastic. <clears throat> exactly. When, when was Jesus born? That, that's a good one. Pro- probably not December 25th at midnight. Probably not then, but I don't know. How many brothers and sisters did Jesus have? I don't know. Do you, do you know something, church? That's okay. That is okay not to know all the answers to these. And then the, one final one, and there's more in here. Again, I'm trying to categorize these together because we're, we're finishing this morning. But one last one that this question stood out from, from all the others. I remember setting it aside and just thinking, wow, here it is. Why did God reveal himself to me? I was lost. But now I'm found. I don't know. That's an amazing question. And it it provides for us something that I think will help in in giving us a a boundary, getting our arms around this specific question that I'm entitling this morning, the mysteries of God. Because here's the issue. You and I... I believe if you're a Christian, this is not hard for you to walk outside and see the grandeur of God's majesty in creation. Amen? That's pretty easy to do. 
And in fact, it is within the nature of God, the $5 theological term that you and I need to make sure that we have a grasp on is something called God's, um, see, it's $5, I forgot it, even though I was talking, Um, incomprehensibility. Wow, it's a big word, right? God's incomprehensibility. That, That is part of God's nature. Now, God is also knowable in the ways in which his nature overlaps with his kindness of creating us. But ultimately, God is incomprehensible. And so you and I very easily can walk outside and look at the stars and see the celestial sights and uh, the sun or an eclipse, whether it's of the moon or the sun, right? It makes you say, wow, it makes you feel small. It draws you in and it inspires you. But I want you to know that's kind of the kindergarten level of mystery. That's easy. In fact, you don't need to be a Christian to do that. For for the person who doesn't know Jesus as Lord, they likewise are amazed when they see a sunrise or a sunset or a newborn baby. It doesn't take much for us to be amazed at God and to find wonderment in his power and in his nature from creation. I want to encourage you to go a step further. And the step further means that you have to draw in your own story into the wonderment and the grandeur and the mystery of God. Why did God reveal himself to you? You were lost, but now you're found. I want you to know it's a lot easier to keep God at arm's distance. It is. Wow, Lord, you made the Grand Canyon. You're amazing. It's kind of a safe place to entertain a contemplation over the mystery of God. But do you know what's less safe? To draw in your own sinfulness. To draw in your own history of whatever your life once was and to know that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. We sing the song every Sunday for our kids, right? It's kind of the theme of our children. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus, help me out. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. What's that last line? Jesus loves me. Even me. Think about that last line. What, what is it doing? It's giving some reef reflexive effort of recognizing, well, I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. That's easy, but Jesus loves even me? Who here is deserving of God's love? Who here has merited by your own righteousness a calling by which God should favor you? And so what I've done as we're wrapping this up is I decided to look in a concordance of all of the times in the New Testament that the word mystery shows up. Dependent upon the version that you're reading, um, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 44 times in the New Testament, the word mystery shows up. I studied them all this week. And one of the things that I discovered is that you can categorize the way, excuse me, the way in which mystery is used by the New Testament writers. Now, you can go online and you can Google this as well. If you say, um, Google the mysteries of God. Let me just, little quiz here, see if you can guess. How many, what number of mysteries do you think the internet most commonly finds with God? How many categories? What's a, what's a holy number that you might think of? Yeah, you all got it, right? All over the internet. The seven mysteries of God. I thought, oh, let me check that one out. Let me check that. Do you know what I discovered? They're not the same. <laughs> do you know what this means? 
we like the number seven. That's what that means. And we're trying to piece it together. So I thought, well, I'm not going to go in with any preconceived list or notion. I'm going to read each one of these in its context. And as I, as I did and put together the, the themes, these categories, do you know how many I came up with? Yeah, you looked at the sermon notes. Seven, that's right. Lo and behold, I found seven as well. <clears throat> uh, to begin with here, and this is my emphasis earlier, I want you to know that the emphasis upon mystery in the New Testament, all seven of these carry a similar theme that is not directed at the stars. It's not directed at the celestial wonderment or a sunset, or a storm, or a newborn baby. Do you know what the mystery of God in the New Testament surrounds as a theme? Redemption. I I was surprised by this as I looked at it. And so of the list, uh, the the first uh, that you'll see is used as a parable. The word mystery is used uh, in the New Testament to refer to Jesus' teaching, and the word mystery will be used there. The second shows up most prominently in apocalyptic Literature, so the book of Revelation, to speak of a mystery, but the mystery here is an allegory to which a symbol or a picture is referring to. Those are the first two. Those two kind of stand apart because every other time mystery shows up, it's used by the Apostle Paul. And when the Apostle Paul talks about the mystery of God, it it falls in five very unique categories. The first is referring to the incarnation of Jesus. So this shows up most prominently in the book of 1 Corinthians. I have the verse here, 1 Corinthians, uh, starting out in the context of chapter 1. Paul says, Jews demand a sign, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Now, why would Christ crucified be difficult for people to hear? Well, the answer is because that's not what they thought the Messiah was supposed to be. Right? If you think of somebody powerful, like a ruler or a king, do you know where you don't find them? You don't find him crucified. But the Apostle Paul is sharing this because the the root, the core of the mystery is saying that God, as Messiah, came to earth not as this conquering, uh, all-powerful ruler that was invincible, but he came as a baby and grew up as a young man and grew up as a carpenter's apprentice to be a teacher who eventually was betrayed by everyone. By the whole world. And so Paul says, all of that in a nutshell, we preach Christ crucified. That the concept of Christ crucified is carrying with it the entirety of Jesus' coming and descent, the emptying of himself to come to the earth and be made in human likeness. So here's our verse in chapter 2. Paul says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. This very first category of mystery of wonderment, of awe that the Apostle Paul wants to convey to the church speaks of Jesus Christ coming from where? From heaven to to earth. The word for that theologically is called incarnation. Last, before I flip the slide here, I want you to see, he includes something that, this is like foreshadowing, what we're going to get to, that God destined for our glory. I want you to hold on to that idea because it's going to come up here again in a minute. The fourth category here has to do with unity in the church. Uh, The church in Paul's day had to get across and get through very thick cultural issues. Let's call it racism. Let's call it tribalism. 
If you were a Jew, you married Jews. If you were Gentile, you stuck with Gentiles. Those, those two don't cross. And yet God's plan wasn't just for one particular tribe of people. What's God's plan for? For God so loved the Everybody. So that means the Jews who were this privileged elect people of God had to understand God actually wants the Gentiles too. And so we stop calling ourselves Jews and Gentiles. We call ourselves Christians now. That can come from any people. And so Paul in the book of Ephesians uh, says these words. In reading this then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is, here it is, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Again, I just want to point out to you, there's foreshadowing going on here. The promise is more than what he's talking about right now. The glory of the previous one from 1 Corinthians is talking about something more than we see right now. But at least for this second mystery, it is unity in the church. Unity. We celebrated that this morning. Do you remember with breaking of bread? I said the theme that was present in corporate worship is selflessness. To be unified. To wait on each other. To serve one another. All right, number five. The next mystery is unity in marriage. So we're going to take this larger gathering of people from all backgrounds, and they need to act as one. All right, now we're going to, simp- we're going to narrow it down. What's the next subset of society? But beyond the large group gathering, what's the smallest group of people you can have? Husband and wife. Smallest group of people you can have. Come from the same background or differing backgrounds? Same tradition or different tradition? Come on, you're married, aren't you? Who's married here? Come on now, you know what it's like, right? You, you, got, you got two different people who have to come together and live as roommates? Is that right? No. What's God's design? To become, to become one. And so the Apostle Paul, as he's relating this in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, says, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. With the implicit result that a one-fleshness is a one-spiritedness. That their wills actually begin to mesh with one another because they're not two people any longer. They now are called to act on behalf of one another, being considerate of one another, thinking and sharing and compromising with one another. And what does Paul say? This is a profound mystery. But he's actually talking about something larger. He's talking about Christ and the church. So not simply meaning that marriage is in and of itself the mystery. That mystery in marriage, just like mystery in the church, is pointing to something greater. All right. Lastly, unity with Christ. When the word mystery shows up in the New Testament, it will refer to the large group gathering. Right. That's different backgrounds. Everybody. And then the smaller group gathering, husband and wife. Well, can, can you subdivide that anymore? Well, if you could, you'd be left with me. Just you. That's it. Just one person. And there's another unity that is a mystery of God's redeeming work. Paul says this to the church in Colossae. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery 
that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What? What mystery, Paul? Here it is. Mystery, which is Christ in you. (laughs) Are you guys with me this morning? Church away? Like, you have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus dwelling in you. Ask me to explain that. I don't know. I'm not sure how that works. But what I do know is that God has designed it to be a unifying mystery. It shouldn't be, I got Jesus in me and then the me, me. And who do I listen to? Yeah, well, you're you're a sinner too, right? You get it. What's the Christian mystery? Is that these are not two wills. It's not my will and God's will living in me, but that these two wills become to be unified. That the mystery of redemption is that you are now united with Christ. And then we have once more, do you see how I keep showing you the foreshadowing? The hope of glory, which leads us to the final mystery that we find in the New Testament, which is resurrection. Resurrection is that day on which Jesus returns. The trump sounds, the shout from heaven, the cry of the archangel, and the dead are raised, imperishable. And we too are changed. And this, this moment of resurrection is what the Apostle Paul calls a mystery. This from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The Apostle Paul calls this a mystery. And so as I did this study through them all, it brought about this picture in my mind. Have you ever seen this picture before? This is one of my absolute favorite Christian pictures. It's a picture of Jesus. So you can see if you look closely enough that there is a a spot on his wrist, right, in his hand, where the nail has pierced. And Jesus, by the love of God, here is reaching what direction? From heaven to earth. He's reaching down. And what is he doing to this sinner right here? He's gripping him. He's got him. And what is that sinner doing? He's not holding on back. Do you know what this means? That your salvation is by grace. It's through faith. You're not doing anything there. Jesus has done all of the work on your behalf. And this picture, I believe, causes for us a... a, a oh, my goodness. My phone's talking to me. This picture causes for us a, a unifying theme for what we also recognize in these themes of mystery. Let me see if I can point it out to you. The first is this incarnation. Is that direction? The incarnation, the, the mystery of God and redemption, is that Jesus reaches down. And then the next section here has to do with this unifying work. It's a mystery as to how God has gripped us, seen as evidence in the large community of the church, the smaller evidence of the mystery of of marriage, and then in the unique presence of Christ dwelling in us, all a unifying presence, which is God's work, not yours. This is what God has done. Ask me why. I don't know. (laughs) All right, and then lastly, resurrection is going back 
Uh, Jesus isn't just reaching down. What is Jesus reaching down to grab you for? If I go prepare a place for you, I will come back so that you may be where I am always. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. Right? Do you remember Jesus' words? This church, this is a mystery different than looking at the stars. Everybody looks at the stars in awe. Everybody can look at the Grand Canyon and be like, wow, here's my challenge to you. I want you to ask this question. Why did God reveal himself to me? Why am I part of this story? And what I believe that will do for us is that it will move us into a place of wonder. It will posture ourselves in an appropriate position to face God as the creator and the designer and you and I as his creation. And it will flow through a purpose in our lives for the outworking of the will of God. That's what I expect. And and so for the remainder of our time, that's what I want to unpack for us from a verse, the best verse on the wonderment and mystery of God in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 11. And just very quickly, we're going to read through which, what is the great doxological confession from the Apostle Paul of the mystery of God. And we're going to break it down to see those four things uh, laid out that will be the result of you and I learning to wonder and be amazed, not at God in creation, but at God in redemption. You guys with me? Everybody was still with me? All right, Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 33 through 36. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Uh, Four main observations that we'll lay down as conclusions from this passage. First is this. The mysteries of God are unreachable. The mysteries of God are unreachable. If you look with me in verse 33, he's, he's regulating these to the church as a depth. Oh, the depth of them. As if you can never get to the bottom. He says specifically here, they are unsearchable. Uh, my NIV records it that his paths are beyond tracing out. Another translation calls it unfathomable. Uh, it was a couple days ago I was fishing. And uh, I know this has never happened to you, but I got my lure snagged. Thought it was a fish. Not moving. I caught a tree. And so uh, I got in a good position where I could reel the line up because if you, if you pull the wrong way, you could injure the rod, you could break the line. But if you can, if you can tip the, the nose of the rod all the way down, right up to the head of the lure, you might be able to just jack it loose like that. And so I reached it down and I couldn't get, I couldn't get to the lure. <laughs> it, it was beyond where I could go. It was unreachable. The depth was too far. I had to break the line, Tom. I, I hate to say it, but that, that's what I had to do. But, uh, 
Listen, when it comes to the character of God in his wonderment for redemption, the Apostle Paul wants to know that's what God's like, you guys. You can reach for it, and you should, but you know what you'll never get to? You'll never get to the bottom. Now, why is this? God didn't have to present himself this way to us. He could have been very knowable, very relatable in this issue. The, uh, the un, um, unknowability of God didn't have to be a way. So why does God do this? And I would suggest to you this morning, it's designed to humble us. That when you and I come to the wonderment of God to know that his mysteries are unreachable for us, it's so that you don't falsely think that you're Mr. Smarty Pants. Mrs. Smarty Pants, that you can fully know God because you can't. And what does that do? What's that designed to do? That's designed to humble us. Secondly, the mysteries of God are good. I love this one. In fact, the Apostle Paul, as he uh, follows up with this concept of depth and unreachability, he calls them riches. Uh, That means goodness. Riches means the benefit of salvation for you and I. So often, I think sometimes we're very shallow in our understanding of salvation that we think it's just about going to heaven. Do you know that's like the kindergarten version of it? Like that's that's like everybody should get at least that much. God has a whole work of blessing in your life that the New Testament writers are going to call riches. The mystery of God as to why he redeemed you is for your benefit, not just to go to heaven someday but to be used by God right here and right now. Now, why does God do this? Well, I believe that it's designed such that we would give him honor. Now, there's something that's critical in this, which means a reframing of what we know as good. The the moral category of good is not defined by our culture. It's not defined by you and I. Who's the arbitrator of right and wrong? God alone is. And so part of this is that you and I come into a reformation of our understanding of Uh, ethics and moral goodness so that it becomes that which God has determined as our good. And yet the Apostle Paul refers to this as riches. I remember when I was real small, I went to um, my mother's brother's house, my uncle, and he, every time he would get home, uh, he'd take the coins out of his pocket and he'd put them in a jar. Anyone else do that? You got like a big jar at home with coins? Well, when my sister and I were kids, he would take that jar and he'd pour it out on the bed and it was like I was Scrooge McDuck. That's how I felt. It was like, wow, look at all the riches. If you only ever see your connection with the head of the church, Jesus Christ, your unity with him as going to heaven, do you know what you're missing out on? You're missing out on the riches of God because the more you come to understand this through the pondering and the wonderment of redemption, the more you will give him praise, the more you will give him honor. In fact, look with me at the end of the text, verse 36. How does Paul end it? To him be the what? To him be the glory forever. Part of this that we can see outlined in this text comes from three rhetorical questions. Did you catch them in verse 34? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Say nobody. Or who has ever been his counselor? Turn to your neighbor, say no one. Or who has ever given to God that God should repay him? And the answer is nobody. No, nobody. Which means God's goodness and riches are freely and graciously given to you so that you will what? 
so that you will give God honor. Number three, the mysteries of God are purposeful. Uh, So back in verse 33, uh, it's very clearly listed out here that his hiddenness, his mysteries, the unreachability of them are referred to as judgments and ways. He has a purpose. Church, I can't emphasize to you enough the good news that this is for you and I. God is not hidden in the way that little kids play hide and seek. Right? How do little kids play hide and seek? I see Seth doing it right now. Nah, 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 nah. That's not what God's doing. God is not shrouded in mystery to keep himself from you or to hide from you. His mysteriousness in redemption, it actually has a purpose. It has a role to play in our life. Um, I want to highlight for you uh, and, and present to you that I believe that this is designed exactly after what the text says in verse 36. Do you see it there? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Now, in English class, these would all be called prepositions, right? They're, They're all directing agency of the verb. I feel like we already saw that when we looked at the mysteries, did we not? From him, which arrow is that? That, that, that's the incarnation from him. And then through him is which one? That's the grip. How, how, are, how are you to find unity in the church, unity in your home, unity with Christ? It's through Christ. That's the how of it. And to him, which arrow is that? That's the one going back up. I want to submit to you this morning that the mysteriousness of God's work in redeeming you, why did God reveal himself to me, is purposeful such that God would get all the glory. And the result of this then is that you and I are drawn to him in awe, just in awe. There's this great verse from uh, the Old Testament from Micah chapter 7. Micah writes this, who is a God like you? Isn't that a great phrase? Boy, who, who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities. Here's a good place for an amen. Into the depths of the sea. Amen. Do you know what that should do in your life? That should make you go like this. For me. Don't think that God is mysterious just because he's like a fourth grader. That's not it. His mysteriousness is designed to draw you into the purpose of wonderment for what he has done for you and I. Lastly, the mysteries of God are sourced in love. Now, if we look at this text in Romans chapter 11, we would would miss this great cause of God's mystery if we don't pay attention to the context. And so as if you were to read back all the way from Romans 9 to 11, don't worry, I'm not going to do it this morning. I see what the time it is. So, But you could on your own time. You could go read Romans 9 through 11, and you know what you'll find? The Apostle Paul is highlighting the mercy of God. What is it, we have to ask, what is it that causes Paul to give this great doxological praise of the mystery of God? Do you know what it is? It's his love for you. It's his love The mystery of God is sourced in love. 
In fact, if you have your Bibles open, look with me at the next verse in chapter 12. Did you know the Apostle Paul didn't put chapter breaks in here? This is just the next sentence for Paul. Look what it says. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's what? There it is. It's his mercy that highlights, that sources all the mystery of God. It's all shrouded in the love of God. Why is this? Why? Now, when I try to answer that question in my study, what I realized is we're not talking about a so that. We're talking about a because. You guys still with me? I don't want to lose you here on this one. The, the previous one was the result. Right? What's the result of God's mystery? It makes you do what? Right? That's the result. But it's not the cause. Like, for, for example, we might look at that list of mysteries again, and you take the, the first one, the incarnation. If you ask the question, all right, why did Jesus have to become human? And you might accidentally give the result. Well, it's because he had to be made like we are, like human. Okay, fair, true. That's the result of it. But that's not why. Why did God do it? And we go back to John 3.16 for that. Why? Because of God's love. That's the because. That's the cause for the mysteriousness of God. Is that it is sourced in love. And what does that do for you and I? That means it's designed to invite you into a relationship with him. The mystery of God is an invitation. And it's because you need help. I didn't hear a single amen on that one. Totally true though. You need help. You, you're, you're a really good sinner. <laughs> You're great at it. It's an impossibility to break. In fact, you're enslaved to it. And so do you know what you need? You need help. God knows this. And so God made available to the whole world a sacrifice. Why? Because he loves you. And the more you give thought to that to try to answer this question, the more you think, Man, why did he reveal himself to me? You're not going to get an answer. Instead, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get, wow, I just want to be with him. I don't know the reason why. I just want to draw near to him. I, I want to orient my life like the way we arched our neck to see the sunset. I want to reorient my life so that I can see God all the time because his mysterious nature of redemption draws me into a deeper relationship with him. And so what do we do with this? I want to leave you with just two thoughts as we conclude this morning. Uh, when I was putting this together, the first thing I wrote down was, I want you to take 30 minutes this week and contemplate the mystery of God. And then I thought, that is terrible. <laughs> uh, you just asked him for half an hour. Can you, can you give God half an hour? Just half an hour. If you can't, 15 minutes. If you, do you see how stupid this is? That's a terrible application. Uh, how much of your life should you give to God? Definitely more than 30 minutes. Yes, you got it. You need to give all of your life to him. And so here, here's what I have. You need to learn how to make space in your life to engage in the wonderment of God's love and your redemption through Christ. I don't know if you've made space for that. I think if I were to look at the sexes, I think women probably do a better job of this than men. Men don't like to feel feelings. Come on, guys. You need to feel some feelings sometimes. Make some space in your life to evaluate the wonderment of God. And then secondly, lastly, try to answer this question. How can I, how can I orient my whole life 
after the wonderment of God's love. Now, two, two things I want to highlight on this application, because again, if you're going to be here listening to me, you might as well leave here with something to do, right? <laughs> the first is that the wonderment of God is not based upon the Grand Canyon. Kindergartners do that, you guys. That's easy to do. Go 30 minutes, go for a walk in the woods. Wow, boy, God's amazing. Wow. You do that fine. You don't need practice with that. It, do it. Keep doing that. I'm not saying it's bad. That's a wonderful thing to do. But that's like kindergarten level. I want to bring you into maturity that you would, like the Apostle Paul, understand the mystery of God spoken of in the New Testament has nothing to do with the stars. It has to do with his love for you. And what that means is you have to learn how to get a little more vulnerable. How to really feel like, wow, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Wow, that's incredible. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love. We will never be able to fully understand it. I pray, God, that as we give contemplation to your love and what you have done for us, it will cause us to stand in awe of you. And that that posture of createdness and belovedness by the the one true living God that it would propel us forward without fear to serve you with all that we are, giving to you our bodies as living sacrifices. To your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.